0: hello baseball fans this is joey warner and you're listening to the batter's box on wnsp now this is our 31st podcast which includes seven live shows today's august 14th and we have a guest in the studio tonight and here's randy patrick this is mel <laughs> showers randy patrick thanks for coming on the show tonight man
1: joey thank you so much uh, i've come out of hiding only for you uh, have not done a radio show or appeared on any form of media in uh, seven months since I've uh, retired. So uh, I decided to accept your invitation here, and it's a pleasure to see you.
0: Thank you so much. You know, you you were the uh, speaker, guest speaker at the uh, Midtown Optimist Club uh, award ceremony for uh, Mobile Baldwin County high schoolers this year, and I really appreciate that. You, you, that was one of your first shows that you or first events that you did, and I I really it was a real honor for that. So and your
1: batting average with me is two for two. Man, I'm telling
0: you. <laughs> but uh, listeners out there, thank you for tuning in. I, I have uh, updated my, my show list, 30 shows. I, I posted them on Facebook last night, and I'll keep them posted there. So so go there and, and check it out, all our shows. They, there's 30 of them, including seven live shows, and we've had some of the most wonderful guests, and we couldn't have a better one tonight with, with uh, Randy – and and uh, again it's 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 a, it's a complete honor randy patrick 43 years right with wkrg
1: 43 yes
0: 43 and randy just saturday night was was inducted to the alabama broadcasters association hall of fame congratulations Randy. what an
1: honor i'll tell you when they called me a couple of months ago and informed me i just couldn't believe it because i had already known the history of the uh, organization and known the history of their hall of fame and the type of people that had been inducted in the past, including my good buddy Mel showers back in 2015 and Bob grip in 2018. And it was uh, just in a marvelous event. And it really, I, I guess, in a nutshell uh, kind of summed up uh, what I had done in the last four and a half decades of it. it's almost hard to believe. And, um, and we'll talk about that. Uh, maybe we'll walk down memory lane to, you know, we had two minutes, I guess, to, to do the speech, Pete, Albrecht came up and did the introduction that he was my presenter and he had two minutes and I have about two minutes to sum up 43 and a half years or so of uh, covering some amazing people, some amazing events and teams and uh, just some wonderful memories. And I have truly been blessed and, and uh, have enjoyed uh, the step back and step away from it as well, because I worked so darn hard in that 43 years that. Uh, people just do not realize what's going on behind the scenes, especially in television. Uh, not to mention radio of the things you have to do to make it look easy. And that's uh, kind of my uh, my my deal when I tell young want to be broadcasters the key to this business make it look easy. And if uh, if you can do that, you'll succeed. People don't want to listen to somebody struggling for words or watch somebody that appears to be nervous with their facial expressions. And uh, the curse of that, of course, Joey, is that when you make it look easy, people think it is easy. <laughs> and you don't get that kind of raise you want or that sour you want. And uh, and, and oftentimes people find out the, the truth over time, that nothing beats experience.
0: That's for sure. And yeah, I'm I'm, I'm having you down here to critique me and give you the tips <laughs> of, of the mistakes I make and, and some of the things that I do. But myself and you and Nick Wiggins, our producer, uh, we, we were talking about the changes that's taken place in radio and in and, and the even in uh, TV and and broadcasting. But Randy, you actually started out as a radio broadcaster. Let's go back in time and, and relive some of that, buddy. Well, I, I had
1: so many stories I wanted to talk about at the Alabama Broadcasters Association Hall of Fame event. but of course time was limited. Uh, how do you how do you tell story after story after story? Maybe I'll have to get my own podcast one day to, to do that. Uh, but I fell in love with radio at an early age, and it was very ironic that the event was held in Birmingham at the Ross Bridge Resort because I went to first grade in Birmingham at Our Lady of Sorrows Catholic School, and we moved from Mobile to Hoover. I was born in Mobile, and in first grade, one of my classmates was Joe Rumor, Jr., and his father was Joe Rumor, the radio legend of Birmingham. He did a show out of his basement, and he was the cat's meow of radio in the 60s. And every day I would tell Joe Rumor, Jr., my classmate, in first grade. I remember it like it was yesterday. Joe, tell your dad to say my name on the radio. Joe, tell your dad to say my name. And so it was that kind of, you know, just flick of the the match that that went off that that throughout my childhood things just kept coming around at uh, that kind of drew me to uh, the destiny of, of, of going into radio. I was the PA announcer in basketball games in the high school that I went to in Cincinnati. I had that deep voice, and, uh, you know, I, I can remember Pat Tabler, who, who we talked about, who went on to become a major league. He was an awesome basketball player. He had signed a college scholarship at Virginia Tech out of uh, McNicholas High School where I attended and graduated in uh, Cincinnati, and I would say, at guard, number 44, Pat Tabler. <laughs> and he would go on to score about 22 points a game, and it would be, field goal Tabler, Tabler, <laughs> you know, and write it down. And, and so uh, I, I just I, – th- this is how I really and truly got into the business is I was a very good prank caller. Uh, when I was, you know, 17, 18 back in the day, you know, back in the day they didn't. Do think, you
0: have any Prince Albert in the can? Yeah. You,
1: you better <laughs> let him out, right? But mine was uh my gift for Gab back in the day was uh the 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 radio contest. So we would call somebody up and they go, Hello, and I go, Hi, this is John Smith here at WQ107. And if you can answer this question, you'll win a fabulous prize, you know. And <laughs> and uh, and so I really and truly got so good at it. Joey, that you know, I was impressing girls or people, are in, you know, at a party or whatever. And they said, "Dude, you need to, you need to do that for a living. You, you, you're good." And so, and and this is the truth. I, I, I you know, one of the guys that was inducted uh, in the Hall of Fame the other day was a radio guy, and he had asked in the crowd, "Did anybody ever attend disc jockey school?" Because there was a ton of those back in the day to try to get you, you know, to go to disc jockey school, and you would think that would be the door in a college degree of journalism or, you know, all that, you know, you go to the news business, Uh, but it was kind of that thing called talent. You know, you either, you have that voice or you have that talent or you don't. And so uh, somebody told me that you need to get a job at a small market station. And so I said, well, how do you do that? So they said, well, just call a DJ. So I called WABB and Scott O'Brien answered the phone. And Scott took the time to talk to me and he said, Hey dude, don't go to, a DJ school at Columbia School of Broadcasting, which was the big one back in those days. And so he said, just, you know, call these like local, you know, small stations in small towns and see if they'll give you a break. And I called uh, WABF and Fairhope and the owner of the station said, come on and, you know, I'll give you a tryout. And so my first break in, in, in that job over in Fairhope was I went over on Saturday mornings and read the Saturday morning news. And that was my break. It would be like W A B F News, and I go, "Good morning, I'm Randy Patrick, W A B F News." Eighty-seven-year-old Doris Smith passed away last Monday. She'll be buried at the Bay Wolf Cemetery. I mean, the Bay Wolf. It was like that kind of you know local news. But then I worked my way into a shift, and did everything like swap shop. I'll never forget the fun we used to have. You know, "Hi, you're on the swap shop." Yeah, I got an old toaster. I think it's working. Said, All right. Well, how much you want for that? You know, I'll take ten dollars. I said, "You sure?" All right. Well, I'll take five. <laughs> and then I would write down the guy's number,
0: and no, we, like would, an auctioneer. we We
1: And and you know, at nine to ten every day on that radio station, the station that cares, <laughs> you would have the swap shop among other things, and they, that phone would start lighting up about ten minutes before the show because people wanted to, you know, pick up a few bucks. And then six months later, after I developed my craft of spinning records and uh, some of the, you know, this is Abba and Dancing Queen at 78 degrees on a Thursday afternoon on the beautiful eastern shore. you a Dancing Queen, you know, <laughs> come out of that and do a little weather and uh, and have, you know, some fun, you know, learning and um, put in a tape at W-A-K-R-G and Charlie Moss hired me. Uh, and I went down on St. Louis Street and... Took over the afternoon drive. I think it was 3 to 7 was my shift. And uh, at that time, it was, a, it was we were playing music. And it was kind of a news entertainment station. But it was legendary. Jack Bitterman did the college scoreboard show there for years. And it was the home of Alabama football, John Forney, uh, Pick a Dixie football. Uh, we, you know, we had a CBS News, Mutual News on the half hour. Uh, it was just, you know, just a great place to be for a young guy eager to learn. Uh, and this technology at the time, we were in the Associated Press, UPI ticker tape, and a and a weather ticker tape, three machines in the closet, and you—that's where you got your news, and you rip and pull and get on the air, and you know, say, you know, here are the current conditions at the Mobile Airport, and eventually, because of the sports content of that station uh we we started doing more local sports it had a history already but lee Cervanian came over and uh, was doing play-by-play we got the contract at south alabama he was the south alabama announcer and lee and i started a journey of uh doing high school football together play-by-play and that led to play-by-play of the senior bowl that i did probably i don't know 8 10 12 15 of those lost count uh, and and I started in the kind of a play-by-play uh, fork in the road. So I we, I was doing baseball at South Alabama during the Eddie Stanky era into the Steve Kittrell era, uh, high school state basketball championships. I was hired by the High School Athletic Association to come up and do high school state championship basketball broadcast and radio, eventually into TV and radio. Terry Curtis and I one year did six straight – uh state championship games of football two a day uh for three days uh, when it was the 6a super six uh he was the color commentator i was the play-by-play guy and we did two games a day it was brutal uh
0: coach Curtis, it has never been lost for words either. oh no you, you know that
1: so that's kind of you know uh a three or four minute version of uh the launching of my career into the fabulous uh, world of of sports uh and um then eventually I I started doing a talk show, of Politics. It was called Patrick and the PM, and that was a three-hour, the first time that ever anybody had done an afternoon drive talk show. And we had three numbers, 479 four seven nine two seven two three. I think Uncle Henry's still barking that number at uh, the station over there. And uh, whatever the subject would be, whoever I would interview, sometimes it would be just open up the phones, and there were – Professional callers back in those days, characters like, you know, the Paul Feinbaum show has. And it was just an unbelievable uh, education, if you will. I I, I spent a couple of years in college, you know, bouncing around in business courses. But the Lord put me where I needed to be. And then the education on the job was just fascinating every day that you would learn something. Or you would get a fascinating guest that, you know, just some off-the-wall subject. Uh, I interviewed Dr. Henry Heimlich talking about the threat of Soviet power during the Soviet Union. But he was the vi- inventor of the Heimlich maneuver, but was using his name to d- put his politics out there. Uh, I, Dawes Butler, the great voice of the uh, Hanna Barbera cartoons, I remember that show like it was yesterday. And, you know, I'd say, uh, is Yogi Bear there? Uh, Hello, Randy. Uh, beautiful day in the woods, you know. It's, <laughs> All the Wally Gator and all the he was Captain Crunch and uh, and then war heroes uh, Jeremiah Denton, uh, Congressman uh, would come on the show. People who would run for office, uh, people who were being arrested in office and put in jail during that era. If you remember, uh, the eighties was uh, you know it was just loaded with just unreal news of you know local news and the court system uh, to. Uh, you know the great superstars that we were producing in football baseball and some of the other sports Uh, so it was a fascinating beginning and then I didn't I'm not even near the television era of when you know my first break into television was when Scott Hunter was doing the morning show and he would take off to go cover football and I would pinch it for him so they brought me down and said uh, you know we think we you have some potential to do television so come on in and uh, when Scott leaves and goes on you know his trips, you you come in and do the morning show. I'll never forget because Scott, he you know, he was not a trained broadcaster. He was, of course, a quarterback and uh, you know, great athlete. And uh, I went for my first day of training with Scott, and he had four blocks of sports on the morning show, Block A, block B, block C, block D. And, uh, and I said, well, where, where are the scripts, Scott? And he said, well, I've got them right here. And I said, well, let me see them And he said, Scott, he said, hands me the scripts and says, block A, ad lib, block B, ad lib, block C, ad lib, D, ad lib. I go, <laughs> okay, that's pretty good. I said, well, how does the director know when to, you know, take the the video and the tape? And he said, I'll show you when we get out there. And so we get, You know, next day, all right, Alabama LSU on Saturday. I was at the game and. Roll that tape, Joe Pulvis. <laughs> and Joe, Joe was the director, and he became a household name because Scott would literally direct the show on the air while he was doing his thing, and he became such a unique product and so popular on the air that 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 show with Mel Showers as the uh, the head anchor was just uh, it had fabulous numbers It just blew away the competition for years. One of those special uh, moments in time, if you will, in in, in television history. Uh, so after that, I did. Uh, that for a little bit and then was bumped up to weekends and then a few years later I guess two and a half years or so three maybe maybe not that long Bob Lowry uh, took a job as the new public relations uh, director at South Alabama and that opened the door for me to get on in there and I think I held that post for about 31 years or so and I don't know how I did it because it uh, is it's like writing a a bull but more than eight
0: seconds (laughs) (laughs) well you know Randy there's been some great ones that's come out of mobile radio and tv and uh, I'm I'm here to tell you you're the best you're the best and and it shows nothing against WKRG and what they have going on now Simone Eli does a great job absolutely she does an outstanding job and you know I, I I love Eddie Bloodsworth. Ed Bloodsworth, a heck of a bowler. You've done a story on him. Got like fourteen, three hundred games, or something like that. And you know Mel Showers is great. Roseanne Haven, Peter Albright. I mean, but you know when I say you're number one, you're number one. But there's a couple other guys we've talked about it before. One of them wasn't with KRG. The other one was, but Jim Cobles, great guy. I mean, and and Jack Drees. I mean. Uh, you you were, you were kind of underneath both of them. They're second and third on my list, so you, you're ranked number one. But- I was
1: always a big Jim Koblis fan and got a chance to know him. In fact, uh, at one point in time, I thought my first break in television was going to be at WALA. As Jim was trying to hire me at a time, it didn't work out. and mo- Certainly for the better for me because I was probably not ready. Uh, and then having the opportunity to be around Jack Drees, not necessarily work under him because I was in radio and he was in television, was just an honor because I, you know, I'd seen Jack as a kid and stuff like that when I was coming home for summers with my grandparents. And uh, I, I, who knew how, what a consummate professional he was at that time and all the things that he had done. And then you still look back today. I, I did a story on the 50th anniversary of the Super Bowl. On Jack's first Super Bowl as the play-by-play announcer on CBS Radio. And it's out there on the internet on some platform, the whole game. I think it was what, Kansas City and Green Bay at Los Angeles Coliseum. Hi everyone, Jack Drees here, the very first championship in the NFL. The Kansas City Chiefs and the Green Bay Packers are gonna battle it out here today, you know, and you just go, holy cow. And he did Kentucky Derbies. He did uh, Saturday Night at the Fights, uh, or maybe the Tuesday night deal. I think the Tuesday night may have been, uh, you know, that era that he was in. uh, The the thing that might stand out for the old-timers is there used to be a a grocery store promotion in town, and you would go to the grocery store, and it was called Let's Go to the Races. And so you'd buy your groceries, and they'd give you a lottery ticket, if you will. And it was a little thing, and you would – tear it open and then it would give you a horse or two and the show would run after the news at six o'clock on WKRG and it was horse racing and it would be file races but whatever horse won if you matched it on your deal you got a discount at the grocery store but Jack Drees voiced over those and and Bruce Cunningham who, who helped me get into business at WKRG who worked under Jack we used to laugh all the time because he, he he got a residual check every month for let's go to the races. And it would be like uh, – he I don't even think he identified himself with be Like, and the five horse looks pretty good out there. And there's a look at the six horse. Looks speedy today, you know. and then He would call the race. And then it wouldn't call him by name, but by number. Number, yeah. And, oh, my gosh, when I was a kid – of course, I always loved horse racing anyway. But to sit there and watch those things and then say, oh, man – you're Jack Dreese from Let's Go to the Races. <laughs> <Yeah>.
0: <laughs> well, you know, and there's a, there's another guy that's local here, and he's with Channel Ten. Byron Day had a good career with NBC. I think used to broadcast with Joe Garagiola and that Tony Kuback in that crowd. And I, I, there's some old stuff on him. He was he was really really big in sports back in the. In the early 80s. Yeah, and, and, and you know,
1: I regret not knowing him in his early part of the career, but what I know of him since he has come home, is he is one of the most gracious, friendliest guys you'll ever meet, and uh, I'm just happy to know him.
0: And, yeah, it's it's, it's been a good thing. Well, you know, Randy, uh, we're listening to Randy Patrick. Anybody that's listening to this podcast hears this voice, and they're saying, man, I've heard that voice. That's Randy Patrick. He's on a podcast. The, he's on the in the Catcher's Corner with Joey Warner on WNSP now. And and that's what it is, ladies and gentlemen. We're listening to Randy Patrick and
1: Now, you said the Catcher's Corner or is, is that the name of it? Well,
0: Danny Jennings gave me that. Oh, okay. That, I thought we were in the batter's box. <laughs> we are the batter's box. All right. When you step into the batter's box, you look down. Ah, you're in oh, the Catcher's okay. Corner right, with just... Joey Warner. <laughs> okay. And last 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 week, as a matter of fact, we had um, we had four catchers that we talked to <laughs> that were that were all in here. Tommy Walker, who just took a uh, job at Spanish Fort, he's the only coach in the area who has won three consecutive state championships. He won in 2010, 11, and 12 at Spanish Fort. You probably remember that, I'm sure. And then you had Joe Conic. He was a catcher. I'm a catcher. I was a catcher. Still a catcher in my whole mind. <laughs> And then we had Jody Daniels on, as a matter oh,
1: of fact. I remember Jody well b- back in his days at South. And I'm a catcher, too. I caught, uh, yeah, yeah. And, it, and I caught the uh, the Mark Harmon celebrity game.
0: I was uh, going to mention that, we, and I put it on my Facebook page. I'm going to put it on tonight. You and Mark Harmon and Peter Albrecht, and you're sitting there with your, with your catcher's gear yeah, on. Yeah,
1: yeah. In fact, I met a really good play at the plate. Somebody fired a bullet from out in right field to get somebody. Because we took it serious. We found out real quick that Harmon didn't come to play. Uh, he came to play, but he didn't come to play. You know what I mean? And uh,
0: wasn't he a quarterback at UCLA? He was.
1: He was. Hmm. And I, you know, I'm going to go out on a limb. I forget about his dad. It was his dad not famous too. I have to go back and look at him. Hmm. Um, can we Google search on the air here?
0: <laughs> That's a good idea. Randy's brought a lot of good ideas down here tonight. So, and, and this
1: is my first ever, uh, by the way, prod, pro- podcast, so I'm, I'm breaking into it with you, Joey. I'm, I love it. Guy, I'm right? loving
0: every minute of it, man. But we're going to go back. When you mentioned Mark Harmon and, and Peter Albrecht and that Mobile Bay Bears, Randy was also the, the, the Southern League broadcaster year in 1998 with – when he broadcast with the Bay Bears, and in 2005 he was the Mobile Press Club Lifetime Achievement Award winner, and then in 2018 Randy was inducted to the Mobile Sports Hall of Fame. And I remember your speech very well because Randy, you that night you thanked all the high schools, all the high schools, if I'm not mistaken, and and that was a recognition that you were given area high schools in sports. For you were given back to them, and that's what kind of broadcaster you were. And you talked up for the people. and and, and, and you you know Paul Feinbaum does what he does. He's you know he's the middle man. he's he's it's an entertainment thing. But over the years, you have done wonderful things for the athletes and the organizations in mobile when it comes to sports. and we're're we're, we're talking everything from golf to basketball, to football, baseball, you know, just every sport out there. And Randy's looking up the uh, the Mark Harmon. Well, I, yeah,
1: I can't get it out of my head because I think Mark Harmon's dad was a Heisman Trophy winner. Did you not know that?
0: Uh, is that, is that, that what it's Tom saying? Harmon, yeah. Tom Harmon. Yeah. What, does it say what year?
1: Uh, yeah, it does. I think somewhere Probably around you know, 50. She, uh, he was in the College Hall of Fame at 54 and 40, won the Heisman Trophy. 1940
0: that's good stuff hey what we need is we need a spotter for things like that and they can well no you know know,
1: it it goes back to you know my early days of radio you didn't have the the luxury of being this smart to be able to go on and remember or want to say something but aren't sure that you're right uh and you know nowadays it's at the touch of your fingers that's why you can't have a, a real trivia show anymore because people will cheat right
0: that's right well, I get mixed up with a lot of the script stuff that I try to write because I put down too much stuff and I try to cover it all. And then, I, and then, it, what happens with me is names. If I get four or five names there, and I get them mixed up. And, I, and, and but I, I'm learning. I'm trying. But, but Randy Patrick is 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 with us tonight. And Randy, go back to those days with the Bay Bears when when we first, 1997. They they they, they opened up and. And you were right there with him, and I, I'm sure you remember Tom. Was it Tom Nichols? You remember Tom absolutely. Nichols? And and he he was, he was he was he was he had his own own way of. Uh, he, he was kind of slow with his you know with his pronunciation and stuff, but he 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 wasn't too quick, but uh, but but he was a good announcer, and and he did good things for 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 the Bay Bears and. And you, you won that broadcaster of the year. Talk a little bit about that.
1: Well, I mean, uh, the, the thing that stands out is Peter Albrecht and I did the very first home Bay Bears game on live television at WKRG. That uh, that was unprecedented, too. I mean, to clear out primetime programming, and that's what they decided to do. And, uh, you know, who was in the house that night? Hank Aaron. I think Ozzie Smith was in there. I mean, it was, it was a who's who of uh, local – Baseball people. It was a very special night. Uh, I wish I could remember everybody that was there. But uh, you know, the first uh, uh, pitch—that's one of the standout deals. I I, we had a helicopter, which was kind of unprecedented uh, at Channel Five at a period of time. And I actually flew on that helicopter from Brooklyn Field, and we landed. In center field before the game and i got out wow. throughout the first pitch wow <laughs> that's great
0: it, it might be uh, the same night that, that bruce Souter, willie mays uh ricky henderson
1: that was uh the hank aaron uh home when they okay, came for the okay. home uh, i remember the, i
0: think it was seven hall of famers that yeah, were here
1: that that was a different night but that or, or day but that was I bob Feller was there
0: right yeah
1: uh but the uh and when I'm, I've interviewed Bob Feller a number of times because, of course, his connection to the battleship, having served on the battleship. And I saw a clip the other night. I just blew me away when uh, Hank Aaron hit a home run off Bob Feller in an old-timers game at the All-Star game. Oh, my goodness. It was cool. I mean, Hank just powdered one into left field, and, you know, Bob served it up. Uh, and then to know Bob uh, in his older years and to see him still as an old-timer there, but he was, you know, minus about 100 pounds on the mound, still, still slinging it. Uh, he loved Mobile, uh, the Bay Bears of, of, of that era. I go back to the Bears of the, the era because as a kid, I used to go to Hartwell Field. My grandfather was a big baseball fan, and we would go uh, and attend the games and you know try to get foul balls and stuff like that. And then as my radio career started going, you know, doing lots of interviews, I got, had the opportunity. And it was I wish I had it on tape. I probably do somewhere, but it wouldn't work. Uh, I did an hour with Chuck Connors. Oh wow! Oh my gosh! I, I mean, it was unbelievable. And we opened up the phones, and like some of his old girlfriends were calling. Oh my
0: goodness, says, Chuck! Uh,
1: Who's is this?
0: This is Helen. Do uh, you remember me? Oh
1: well. And she'd say, "You remember that time you did that three sixty in the Bankhead Tunnel in the Chrysler?" And, oh, that Helen. Okay, yeah. You uh, know,
0: nineteen forty-seven Bears. Chuck Connors, Stan Waziak. George you,
1: Shotgun Shuba. Shuba,
0: and you know they. Uh, Connor's not you know, made it with he back then. I think it was the Brooklyn Dodgers, the yes. affiliate, but I think he made it with the Cubs. He, yeah, he and, made and it he, made he got it a cup with a of sh- coffee, yeah. And he, he was also in the NBA with the Boston Celtics,
1: yeah, and then became the rifleman. Wow, that was that was. He, and then when he walked into the studio, it was like uh just a charmer. You we still had it, I, he was probably 70 at the time, I don't know, but uh, it was one of my favorite interviews. Uh, it, it, he created a little buzz around, you know, from the, the station. Not quite the buzz, though, when Richard Simmons came on my show. Oh, my
0: goodness. Oh,
1: man. I, every female in the station was like, you know, you see the the, the broadcast window here. They were all peeking in. And,
0: Did and, he do and, a, any kind of aerobics type? Uh... Well, he came in. He I don't know what he was doing in town at the time,
1: but the first thing, and I, I don't know. Maybe it was one of these rings that I'm wearing here. But, the, you know, of course, he wanted to control the interview, and he knew how he was – really good at that and right you know i have richard simmons with us today and i was a young you know 25 year old punk or whatever and 28 maybe real real mature <laughs> and uh and i said something to him he said wow look at that diamond ring you've got on there how much does that set you back where who gave you that you know, and, and after that it was just a hijacked interview and god rest his soul because he just recently passed away but gosh i remember that interview like it was yesterday and that was one of those uh, shining moments of a career because he was on top of the world back then.
0: He really was, and and he had that he had that particular accent to him, you know, and he had that voice, you know, that nobody could could Im- imitate. But. You know,
1: when you grow up a, a sports fan, and I say a sports fan, not just loving football, baseball, but all sports, Olympic sports, and things of that nature, and then you get a chance professionally later to to interview these these. People that you idled. I mean, who would ever think? I, I, if I want to show up to somebody, say, check this out. I've got Hank Aaron's cell phone number. Of course, it's not doing me any good now. But uh, to to know that you have Hank Aaron's cell phone number, when I as a kid, I'm I'm sitting there watching him hit 715 in Cincinnati, Ohio, when I was a big Red Machine fan, you know. And but no, I was a Mobile native, and I always, you know, had Hank Aaron up here. And uh, to to know that Cleon Jones, uh, you know, you. I played golf and had so much fun with Cleon when I got to know him in later life. And, and, uh, uh Tommy Agee, uh, I didn't play golf with Cleon. I got him mixed up because Tommy loved golf, but I, those two, I mean, and I actually got a chance to interview Amos Otis long ago, but Amos, you know, is kind of missing in action when it comes to mobile and no one hardly ever sees him. He,
0: he was a great baseball player. Yeah, last I've heard
1: it, he was out like in Vegas or somewhere out west, uh, but uh, one of those athletes that just, just didn't come home like Willie McCovey. Um,
0: Billy Williams and, uh,
1: Yeah, Billy loves Mobile comes to Mobile used to come and fish a lot in, uh, in the in the fall with the guy I know and uh, but Willie McCovey, after interviewing his brother Claus L after Willie died, he you know he gave me the backstory of you know why Willie you know of course it was during those racial times, but he said when Willie he went out to San Francisco, he was uh, adopted, so to speak, by a Jewish family and moved in and lived with them and became so very close to him. He said they were like a second family to him for the rest of his life. And uh, I think he, you know, hardly ever came home, came home for his mother's funeral. Um, uh, you know, Willie McCovey, uh, Billy Williams, Satchel Page, uh, remembering, uh, never got a chance to interview Satchel, but uh, got to, to go. I would say I had a really close relationship that I built with his sister, Palestine Caldwell, who used to live down right off of Broad Street and used to stop by and sit on the front porch with her, and she would tell stories. And just a lovely lady that we embraced in the Sports Hall of Fame in the early days when we first got it going. And uh, gosh, I wish I would have been able to to know Satchel Page. Wow, you know,
0: know, those guys that you just mentioned right there alone – there's there's nobody in the country in any of these any of these big cities that that can compare. And you know we'll we'll talk about these two guys, and you had great opportunities to talk with Frank Bowling and Milt Bowling, and 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 I, I remember all those interviews you had with Frank and or Mister Frank, as I like to call him, and 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 he just loved that that Grand Slam that he hit against Sandy Koufax. And so did I. You know? <laughs> see, <too. laughs> well, you can see it on you know
1: film and you know and koufax was just said you know
0: and and and
1: today at our age if you're talking to younger people you have to put a qualifier almost into every sentence about who this person is we're talking about because they have no idea who sandy koufax is you have to you have to really know baseball now to know who these guys you know were at that time uh the, the The unfortunate thing is most people don't care to listen now uh, below 30 because they don't care about baseball or football or anything else, right? Oh, I, it was in a video game. I think I saw his name in a video game, right? Uh, uh, it, it's just too bad, uh, unless you're playing fantasy football, which we're not short on big household names in this area with people playing
0: oh, football's been, great. been great. NFL and college. It's been unbelievable. And, you know, modern day you have uh, – Josh Donaldson, you know, he's 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 probably on on the end of his career, and Danny Jennings has done so many good things, as you know, in as, in in the major league level in management, and then Jake Peavy. We can't say enough about Jake Peavy. Have you been able to see him on the MLB Network?
1: I've I've caught a couple of times. He, he looks like a natural fit, he, right? I he, mean,
0: he just he's an he's natural, and you know, his love for the game. I mean, and his his intelligence. I mean, you know, and, and cause you know, you and I both know with the sources that we had back in a long time ago was not much, you know, when they came out with USA Today, you had sporting news, I, sources I used to use the sporting news, then baseball weekly was the best thing ever. And, but in today's world, I, I cannot tell you, I used to tell you just like we could all look at the last names and tell you what the first name was from just from the box scores. and, and today's game, I don't know it, and I, 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 I'm glad that Jake knows so much. I mean, he's a little younger. He's not. He's forty-two, forty-three years old, I believe. But, but he 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 knows the game. Well,
1: it, I'm so happy that he also, you know, came home and made Mobile his home, and then invested, you know, in downtown Mobile and some other places. Uh, so many times we have seen these athletes, and nothing against them if they want to live in Atlanta or Birmingham or somewhere else, and you know, make their fortune or take their money and invest there. That's their business, right? Uh, but, gosh, if you could just pool all the money of the, uh, the, the, the football players, baseball players, and basketball players and do something, like, really huge and mobile.
0: Oh, yeah. Uh, but, you know, you
1: you, you hear uh, – I had an athlete call me one time and say, Randy, you went on the air and said I made $100 million in my career. And I said, well, y- you did, didn't you? And he says, well, I don't think I made $100 million. I mean, but on paper it's a hundred million, but but the tax man gets it, and then it all gets taken away. But he made ninety eight point six million, so I said, my bad. <laughs> you know, uh, but then everybody assumes that, that, that everything's easy for you the rest of your life, and it's it's not easy when you have that kind of money. I I would know, but uh, you know, Julio Jones type deal or a Rodney Hudson. I mean, the kind of money they made. I mean, just think of the the. NFL guys that we've had in recent times that have done so well and have made so much money. Willie Anderson made a ton before that was when that offensive tackle started making as much as the quarterback, right? Uh, Chris Samuels. Chris Samuels you? made a, you know a, a great living uh, and you know you, you look at in baseball and you're talking about the modern era and the friends that I I watched and was so proud of and Lance Johnson and Luis Gonzalez and Pete Coachman.
0: Juan, and, Pierre.
1: Uh, Juan Pierre, Juan Pierre, John Lieber, uh, Mike, Mike Mordecai, Mordecai yeah, yeah. And, and watch those guys. And we were with them at every bat, right? I mean, those, when they came out, every time they got promoted from single A to double A to triple A. And I've kind of shut down right now on, you know, really looking at the box scores because my, my there's, there's no incentive. Josh Donaldson can't get a hit and he's on the DL. <laughs> and it's just a disappointing thing to, to see that. And then uh, the Bob kid has Bubba's
0: been sitting back, sent back down in Texas. Yeah, and then the,
1: the Donovan kid over at St. Louis. I mean, what a great story that is. Oh, and it he's is. on the DL and may not come back because of the hand injury. And then I was hopeful that Travis Swaggerty was going to make it up to the Pirates, and they've released him. I don't know if you've seen I that. I have
0: not seen that because I try to keep an update of those guys. Now, I'm, I'm
1: retired, okay, So, <laughs> but I, I still say, hey, if you're going to come on these shows, you better stay up. That's right. But I saw last week because it really disappointed me that he's been having – Migraine headaches that he just can't get over, and he had a fabulous spring. He was on the forty-man roster. There was some talk that he might even break camp and and make the team, and went to AAA and uh, started getting sick, and they released him.
0: I didn't realize yeah. that, and, but I tell you, I've had to go over to Mississippi for my favorite following, and when he was six and zero, oh, I, I predicted that he was the front runner, or s- said that he was the front runner of the National League Cy Young winner. And he made the all-Star team that's Justin Steele. He's thirteen and three. and and he was went for win number fourteen the other night and had a four three lead. Then they tied it. So he it was a no decision. But he's 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 doing great. He played at George County. Uh, and as out of loosedale, but he's he's having a good career.
1: I tell you, it looks like Maddox Bruns might be on his way. I think uh, I don't know if you've been following his stats. He's he's gotten the walks down, but the strikeouts are like oh
0: my the ratio goodness. is. And I think that the Dodgers are developing him very well, and and because he's got that he's got that heat, he's got that fastball, and and you know they can they can teach him. Uh, if the, if he has the right pitching coach, and, and they can they can have him mature, and 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 break into that Dodger system.
1: Speaking of pitchers, let me tell you a quick little story. Just a historic uh, sideliner here since Rickwood field is back in the news. They're going to have that big game there next St. Year.
0: Louis and San Francisco. Big thing for Willie Mays. But, and you said that about Brendan Donovan, that was great. Cause I love following him.
1: Oh, I yeah. love, he's such a Mr. great hustle. Huh, he can do it all.
0: And, and you know, they're, they're going to have the Willie Mays day up there and you know, you'll they'll have t- Turner Ward, Brendan Donovan, Paul Goldschmidt. We, we got to get together and get up there. Well, we, let
1: me, let me tell you back in 1969, uh, I when I was a kid, I moved to a lot of cities, but we were in Birmingham, and my mother became best friends with a woman whose husband was the Bill Shanahan of the Barons, uh, Glenn West, who was the general manager for the Barons in the '60s and their their glory years of all those great Oakland Athletics championship teams that were built from that Birmingham Barons era. So we had moved, uh, played baseball with Mister West's son, and you know we're friends and everything, and moved to Memphis. And I became, me and my brother became a, a part of uh, a championship Little League team in Memphis called the Pepsi-Cola Tigers from Davis Park. And long story short, Mr. West had set up a chance for us to take a road trip, the Memphis Tigers, to play a all-star team of Birmingham kids at Rookwood Field. And they said there would be a special guest there when we get there. And so we get out there and we're, you know, the pregame and everybody's warming up. And they said, all right, now today our guest umpire for the bases is Vita Blue.
0: Oh, my goodness. And Vita
1: really? Blue comes out. And I had to look at the stats on him because I, I wanted to be accurate on the year. And he only played one year at uh, Birmingham but at 69, I think it was. And it was a marvelous year that he had that launched him into.
0: I think his, he was the rookie of the year his first year. Yeah. And, you know, he had that long wind up. And he could chunk. He was a oh, great yeah. pitcher. But they had Everybody Sal
1: Bando him. back in those days from Birmingham. Burt Campaneris. Rick uh, Monday, Rick Monday. Who we played? Who right we played all that
0: Mobile A's in nineteen sixty six. Charlie Finley was he was brilliant. Yeah. He was brilliant. Alabama
1: I, native. I, I was looking at his Inslee, bio. The other night. Yeah, yeah.
0: Ensley, Alabama. But um, Randy. You yeah, know, we mentioned so many great ball players, and, and that really wasn't the subject, it, but it's always a great subject. And here's some, we didn't even realize it, but here, here's, here's most of them right here. The one we haven't talked about was a little bit with Turner, Coach Steve Kittrell, Coach Steve Kittrell, and this man right here, this man right here, Eddie Stanky. Oh, man. I mean, t- talk a little bit about Eddie, Coach. Well, I called I, uh, you coach. Uh, I called you coach. You're sitting there with that Cleon. <laughs> uh-huh. You're sitting there with that Cleon Jones mitts, and, so, and I, I'm looking. You look more like Bobby Valentine. I want to say something real quick. They've got a thing. I, we're talking about podcasts earlier. Well, they've got a podcast. It's called K. What's the guy? K uh, Rod. K uh-huh. Have you seen it? No. K Rod. Last night they, they they follow a baseball game, kind of like what. Uh, Oh, uh, Eli and and Peyton do in in NFL football. They 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 have guests on while the game's going on. They don't broadcast the game, but K Rod, it's some guy named K, something K, and then Alex Rodriguez. But they had they had last night they had Bobby Valentine on. You know, he was a coach for the manager for the Mets. They had Marquise Grissom and they had Dave Justice. And 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 that was pretty cool because that's going back and with in our days of, 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 of those guys that we looked up to and, and especially with Marquise Grissom and and, and uh Justice in the nineties. They carried the Braves and Valentine goes way back. And and but uh that's interesting to see these men come on on a uh and talk about their days on the on the T V type podcast. I really like that. And and Nick talked about wanting to do that down here and I hope that happens, you know.
1: Well, Eddie Stanky, I, I was honored to be able to be a part of his, you know, later in life stories because I, I you know, I think eighty one, eighty two, eighty three uh, was with South doing play by play. I actually went on the road with the Jags baseball team, and Eddie would fly. Uh, he would not ride the bus. Jim Crawford would handle the bus, and just to be on the road with Eddie uh, and you know hear some things uh, and watch him in action because when he uh, Back in those days in the Sun Belt, we would go to Birmingham, and they had Harry the Hat Walker as the UAB head coach, right? And then you yep. had Robin Roberts as the head coach of uh, South Florida. South Florida, and you know the local TV media, you know TV guys would show up for those, you know, to get the two legendary guys together. But then when you watch Eddie in action about uh, his baseball strategy and just the positioning of players and pitchers and the things that he controlled in that college game, which just it would just floor you. Uh, at Rick Woodfield one time they were playing UAB and Ron Palatier was at the plate and drove in a run with a double. And there were very few fans at the time at Rick Woodfield at that game. I was doing the play-by-play and you could hear Eddie Stanky cussing out Palatier, uh, Palatier in the dugout. And I'm going, what is going on? <laughs> of course, I didn't say that on the air. And uh, afterwards, I went up to Ron and I said, what? what happened? He said, well, he told me to hit the ball to right field and I drove it to left field.
0: Oh my goodness!
1: That, that's how demanding he was. I mean, he didn't take it. You know, they called him the brat for a reason, but he took me under his wing. I, I was talking with Lee Shervanian today, and we talked at length about Eddie, because it, it, back in those days we did the game, and Lee did the pregame show for the most part uh, with Eddie, and, and, and we Lee,
0: Lee Shervanian did an outstanding oh, job yeah. for, and for basketball and every, everything. And, you know,
1: and we, I was, I was honored to to, to cut my teeth with Lee in football, basketball, and baseball, but Eddie. Had he had a shtick going on with Lee? I mean, he would eat him alive in these pregame interviews, and you would you would say you would leave afterwards like ten minutes, and you go, "Poor Lee, how does he take that abuse?" And then it it kind of dawned on me after you know like game twenty four that he was just teasing you know Lee, and you know I don't know if Lee got it at first either, and they became you know great friends. Uh, but Eddie always kind of took a A liking to me because my grandfather's sister's husband and him were really big buddies Emmett McNamara was his name they had that house on uh Conti and Warren Street right there by Wenzel's and so when Eddie and Dickie would come in uh in the off season they would actually stay with sometimes with my uncle Emmett and then they had the house over at the bay called the home plate that they would you know go to when they would fish and and all that so Back in those days, remember, now Eddie eventually bought a house over on Spring Hill Avenue that most people know that, you know, back from college days and and, and raised his family there. But uh back in those days, and I'm talking 40s, 50s, the baseball players didn't make any money, right? They 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 came home, they were looking for a job, most of them, right? And a lot of the black players will tell you back in those days that uh, you know, even in the early portions of the sixties, they had Frank bowling told me this story. I won't get into names, but uh, some of them had resentment uh, here in mobile because they couldn't get a good job when they came back to mobile, like the white ball players could. Right. Uh, so, but Eddie, uh, he, for whatever reason, just, you know, I guess because of that connection and then knowing that connection took, took a, you know, kind of a watch out for me and he never really cursed me out or anything like that. but, I had so much respect to him and, and for him. In fact, he gave me a, a South Alabama pitching jacket once with my name on it. Wow! Um, and uh, when he uh, his wife passed away, they asked me to read the uh, first reading at her funeral mass. What
0: an honor! Yeah, what an honor. Uh, Dicky,
1: Dickie, who was just a lovely lady, but he and, and I told Lee about you know I visit sometimes cemeteries. I'm just that kind of guy and had been out there in a while. But at the Catholic cemetery, Eddie and Dicky are buried. Uh, at the Milton Stock Stanky uh, family plot, and and so his father—if you want to do a little history search—was father-in-law was Milton Stock,
0: Dickey's, great ball Yeah, player.
1: and he, you know, he he played for the Yankees and dri- or Giants or whatever back in the '12s and 13s, '15. But he was also a, a, a coach in the uh, back in the '40s as well for a number of teams, the Brooklyn Dodgers and. You look at some of those uh, connections that he had, and some that Eddie had, and, and and some people say that Milton was able to, you know, help Eddie's Eddie's career. I'm sure he did. What father-in-law wouldn't look after his? That's
0: his, right, his son. And you know, he had to be. law I, I don't know what his mannerisms were on the field because that was such a long time ago, and but he had to be. Stanky had to get some of his coaching tactics from his father-in-law and then uh, and I know well we're... one
1: thing stands out that his father-in-law led the league one year in walks does that sound familiar yeah,
0: it does because uh, Stanky led it three times and another uh mentor for Stanky was Leo DeRocher too absolutely and were you able to get out there at South Alabama when DeRocher came to
1: well let me tell you this story uh that was an unbelievable weekend when Leo the lip shows up right and he's it was a planned event uh Back in those days, I was doing play by play at a very young age, you know. And you know, hi everyone from Stanky Field. It's a beautiful day for baseball. I'm Randy Patrick today. Joining me in the booth, Stan Waziak, you know, the king of the minors. And Stan did a bunch of color commentary. Uh, uh, some of the old timers, uh, Mark Johnston, used to sit in with me. Uh, but anyway, during the the Leo weekend, uh, I had become good friends with a number of the players on the team because we were about the same age, right. And one of the guys uh, was John Duffy, who was a left-handed pitcher. And and John and I would play a lot of golf together and uh, you know, go out and have some beers and stuff. And so I, I don't want to say the day of the game, but it might have been the day of the game. We played golf at Azalea City, and they played Miami that night. And if you remember, Miami came to town, I believe, ranked number one in the nation. And Leo was there that weekend, and John shut them out, beat them 10 to nothing. And I've got a baseball with – Leo, DeRocher's signature, Eddie Stanky's signature, and John Duffy Wow, with the uh, 10 to nothing score on it.
0: You know, Duffy, uh, I played against him when he pitched at McGill, and he could bring it. I don't know how he didn't make it
1: in the major leagues. I swear. He could bring he,
0: it. Do you know who he reached a room with when he was with the Detroit Tigers? John Smoltz? Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. You're going to have to get up very early in the morning, Joey, to beat me on these. Huh? <laughs> I love John. I love John. Him and Jeff Doggett were good buddies. Oh, and Jeff could fly he too. He could. He, oh, he, he should he have made it to the big leagues oh, too. Yeah, and he was on my. He was a senior.
1: You know who else yeah. was on that team that is still living in Mobile? And this is the kind of cool stuff I like that happens of those breakout guys is Mark Estes.
0: Uh, right. He, yes. He's still here. He was from the Chicago area. Yeah. He's Still in Mobile. Yeah. He's still in Mobile. Well, when I played over at Faulkner, he had. Well, there was a friend of mine, whose name was Tony Franzoni, and he drove a Cadillac. He went to Alabama to play, but it didn't, you know, so many people go to a Division I school and this doesn't pan out and then they end up at a junior college. Well, Faulkner was was known for that, and Tony came over there, and he was big buddies with Estes. But Estes made it – he made it uh, – he played with pitched in the Dodgers organization, I believe, but uh, I, I liked Mark. And I think Warren Hughes was, was, was part Warren, of that. Yeah. Warren Hughes, what a great yeah. pitcher
1: he was too. And I'll tell you, another guy that uh, has called Mobile home, and I haven't seen him in a long time, but – of course, you may remember that uh, I was part owner of a nightclub called Grand Central down oh, on Dolphin yeah, Street. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah.
0: We used to so, go in there after the boxing matches back Oh my gosh! <laughs> and
1: everybody used to come after a whatever sport. Grand man, Central. But, uh, Hugh Gervais from the Mystics. He he's called. Oh Mobile man, home.
0: I love the Mystics games, and I remember those guys. Yeah,
1: Use Hugh Gervais, uh he, They he came, came out there at the Bay Bears yeah.
0: game one time when they had. When they let people come out and play baseball or hit hit the machine, and the, and two of those hockey players, that survey guy, I remember him very well. Oh my
1: gosh, when hockey hit here, it was like it was culture shock for everybody. When you'd go to the, oh my god, they're beating the crap out of each other. <laughs> uh, let, let's talk about speaking of beating the crap out of each other. A little boxing history. You mentioned Randall Yonker. I mean, I could tell you, I don't know how many Randall Yonker stories I could tell you, but uh, some of the others. I mean, a story that stands out was uh, Jesse James Hughes. I remember when uh, Eddie Sorette uh, came to me, and he, you know, Eddie and I had a really good relationship, and I would help him promote the sport like I did everything else. And then uh, and he said, I got a boxer, I think it's going to be really good. I said, Okay. And he said, I want you to meet him. And uh, he's got a little background. I go, Okay. And I said, uh, What's the background? He said, Well, he just got out of prison. <laughs> I said, oh, Okay. So he said, But he's going he to turn his life around, right? And so I, I go and meet him, and his name is James Hughes. And uh, I said, uh, "What were you in for?" And he said, "Well, I, you know, was robbing uh, and stealing from drug dealers,
0: impersonating a cop." You know? Yeah. <laughs> I said, "Well, okay. Well, that's pretty good. At least you weren't robbing <laughs> the old lady right across the street."
1: <laughs> so I, I asked him. I said, I "Make a pledge that you will, you know, straighten your life out, and you know, and I'll, I'll give you some publicity." And it wasn't three months later. He was on ESPN, and and I'll never forget. I was on my dinner break. It might have been his first or second fight. And he was getting the crap kicked out of him. I mean, eight rounds of just annihilation, and then the ninth round he came out there and knocked the guy out. And I think I did a flip on the on the king size bed, you know, my suit before I went back with excitement. Oh my god! Yeah,
0: because he was an entertainer. Oh, I mean, he yeah. was, and was just tenacious. You know, Yonker was interesting to watch fight too, but but he was a a hard hard thrower or a hard puncher. But, uh, but J- you tell James- somebody
1: that story about James Hughes, and then you say, and then the next thing you know is we're sitting there with Jack Tillman, fast forward, who was you know everybody's idol in boxing. He's now the sheriff, and we're walking up and down a railroad track looking for the man's dead body.
0: So you went, at, you were in on that. I oh know yeah, saying- oh it was like you
1: know what is going on here, you know, and uh, and and that part of it, it, it just was a, such a sad ending, I, and you know the funeral where they had the. Horse-drawn carriage exactly. with the casket on it and the, the cowboys. I, and
0: I still have a flyer. I found a, that, they, you know, they put out flyers. Uh-huh. And I, I made sure to and it put that in my boxing-type scrapbook stuff. But but I actually interviewed. I used to write the program out there for Steve Schoenwald. Oh, did you? Uh-huh. And, and I interviewed James, called him on the phone, and talked to him six weeks before his death. And see, James was a year or two younger than me. And he was a baseball player, too, out at Theodore. Pretty decent player, but what he told me in that interview was interesting because I was a distance runner for 20 years, and I said, you know, we talked about it. And we I was getting ready to start running with him to train because he was he was like you said he was getting ready to make it big, real big, and and Yonker could have made it big, but Randall wouldn't run. He used he he would not stay in shape. But that's what James's uh, best thing about boxing was was his stamina from running and that's what he told me and but it was sad it was terrible the way he the way he was murdered uh, randy and and to, to be out there and that hunt has to be a, a a dreadful memory you know but because they, they ended up finding him in a in a in a, in a pond or a, yeah what was it terrible. like a, it, you know, and they get, they could identified him by his, one of his tattoos or something but um and I don't think they ever found who killed him, but some say that they, they knew who it was, but they got killed in prison too or whatever, or the J- downtown Mobile. But uh,
1: And then Randall, you know, he had his headlines on uh, on and off, or in and out of the ring. You remember the rodeo of the year when he wrecked his Corvette?
0: Oh, yeah, he'd be put up on the, the, <laughs> the front page wire. of Sunday paper with his he said he was looking How at a girl our K.O.'s Randall Yonker he, or something. <laughs> <laughs> hey, but did you see all the people helping him get it off? Because He was a hero. He was a celebrity. Oh yeah. And I, I've got video of, of the weigh in with him and Paul McPeat.
1: Remember that? When, when you were uh, yes. young, man. Oh, are you, are you, I know, see you post that before. I'm... <laughs> I thought it was all set up the whole thing you know just to promote the event but
0: they almost they were real they, they were, were to it right there and and the fight was even better out there i mean it was a brawl i would man.
1: not want to get into a fight with Randall Yonker that guy was oh my gosh he was a tough cookie and then you know so the boxing part over here so one day i'm headed over to Pensacola to interview a guy named Roy Jones Jr who's coming back from the Olympics with a silver medal that just got screwed by the, Oh yeah you know, they took it from him he went to Washington High School and they had 3 Olympic medal winners in that class uh, from their school. They had two swimmers and and Roy. Isn't that unbelievable? Washington, it is. School. It
0: really is. You know, and Randall, uh, uh, he, he wanted to come up with a – he wanted some of Roy Jones, but he didn't need no, no, no. Roy Jones. Roy Jones was one of the greatest fighters ever, in my opinion. But you know what Randall wanted to call it? He wanted to call it the war on the shore. And he wanted to have it behind the – which was a great idea but randall randall was a, had that party atmosphere you know and, oh, yeah. and that would have created a buzz you know a, a, a buzz you know? <laughs> I,
1: I went to uh, roy jones's place uh his ranch once uh he had like a press deal and invited some of us over there and when we went on the property it's in cantonment and I, I i don't know what he was doing but when we got there he has about 400 roosters that he was raising at the time. And then he had about, I don't know, 10 bulldogs over there. And he had alligator. I mean, he had all kind of stuff, but he was into raising roosters. Now I don't, I don't think he was fighting them. I, he was studying them. So I asked him, I said, what are you doing with these roosters? Now you got to follow me though. This is deep. So he says, Randy, I, I study them. He says, you know, they got really great moves with their neck. And when they're moving now, I, I don't know if he's mentioned that, movement when they're fighting but and he says because you know i i kind of I, I learn from that when i'm when i'm fighting and if you think about it watch roy jones the next time in, in a classic boxing match when people could not get a glove on the guy right he moved like a rooster and uh, you know he he did that neck and everything like that and uh i think that's what really made him so successful now who knows what he was you know
0: I heard, you know, and I may have heard this on your broadcast or, or wherever, but I heard that he used to have he had chickens and he used to chase the chickens around to try to catch them as cross training. And and I, you know and I don't know whether that was well Chad that was Rocky
1: I, you remember Rocky was, did that too he did, didn't did he really, it, yeah.
0: you know I have a quick Roy Jones story too you, you remember the ba- he he played basketball on a on a ba- we had a basketball team here the Revelers I think it was right that's and, a, I forgot about and, that and, and, and yeah and they were coaching I can't remember what that coach's name was but he had a former NBA guy and they were practicing out at Spring Hill College and 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 I heard that Roy was. He was doing it for uh, to help his training for boxing. And I remember talking to the coach. I can't remember his name, but I, I I I had a little sports show on Comcast, Port City 6 or whatever it was called. And it was a step above video, but it was a lot of fun. And I, I went out there, and I went in the gym, and I came up to the coach. I said, is Roy Jones here? He says, he just left. I said, and, I, and since I was there, I, I got like a one-minute interview. I said, well, coach, will you tell me about Roy Jones? And he says, well, Roy Jones is a – is a is a uh, great basketball. Well, he's not a great basketball player. He's a good basketball player. <laughs> and then I said, all right, co- thank you, coach. Thank you. And so I went out and jumped in my car. And they they was they were in one of those big old what's the thing called a little a tank? It was like a tank. I can't remember what they the called. Hummer. Yeah, a Hummer. Huh. They were in a Hummer. It was him and two of his buddies. I got up behind them. I started honking my horn. And here it is, Roy Jones. I knew it was Roy Jones, as they said he left in a Hummer. And I'm honking a horn, honking a horn. I got them to stop, and they were probably getting ready to get out, and, and Roy Jones, you know, I, I didn't. but it was right there by the golf course. And I, I said, man, I said, man, I got a little sports show on, on Comcast here, man, can I get an interview with you? Man, he got out, we walked over onto the golf course, and I'm videoing, I got it in my archives and stuff at home. And I videoed him, and he told me all about. It and he and he had a CD because he had he was a singer too. Yeah, rap. Yeah, yeah and he gave yeah. me the CD. I think he signed it. <laughs> Thanks, man. I love a it, promoter.
1: Man. He was he's something else, man. And I will tell you, he said, you know, a guy that would take your phone call, uh, yeah. and uh, you know, still still around today. Uh, I I went up to Atmore one time to do a story when Evander Holyfield came home to his hometown of Atmore. And they had this big celebration. Uh, at, I think it was at the high school. And uh, it was pretty cool. And I think his father's name is Coley, if, if memory serves me correct. They, they were raised right up around Atmore. And so afterwards, uh, we leave. And my photographer and I were leaving. And Gary Arnold, I said, let's get something to eat. And I said, there's a McDonald's over here in Atmore, we can, this last place we can go. So we pull in, get out of the car, go in, order our food, come over there. And there's like one person in the back sitting there. And it's Evander Holyfield. Oh wow! Well. <laughs> and I said, "Evander, you mind if we sit with is said, "What the heck is the heavyweight champion of the world eating at McDonald's?" Like, Got to eat too.
0: <laughs> you know, we've talked about so many, and we we can't we can't stop without bringing this guy. We talked about him before the uh, the show tonight, and, and we'll throw this out there, Mike Goff. He, he he's another great. one. Danny, him and Danny Jennings were supposed to be getting up t- t- together. Last weekend, Danny's out in Arizona. But Bernie Carbo, you mentioned Bernie earlier. And and uh, tell me just a little bit about your connection with Bernie when you went out there and interviewed him. Yeah,
1: you. just real quick, when you mentioned Mike Goff, I went to a Cubs game one time, uh, took the family, and the, the the little mobile connection game that I like to play, right? So I was looking for tickets, and I knew Jim Hendry, Hendry the what former a story. Spring what a story. Hill College guy, was the general manager of the Cubs at the time. And then Jim Crawford, the former South Alabama baseball coach, was what they call the super scout for the Cubs. I mean, he was legendary with the Cubs at the time. He was. So uh, called Crawford, and uh, asked him if he could get me some tickets. God rest his soul. And he was able to get them. I said, "Well, I got a, you know my kids and my wife." And I said, "I don't even want to ask you, you know, for the amount of tickets I need. I just need to buy them. So if you can, you know, hook me up, I'll buy them." He said, well, how many of there are you? And I think it was like eight or nine of us. And I, So he says, okay. So long story short, we get there. Hendry gets his tickets for free for all of us. We all get tickets to go down on the field. Down on the field is Billy Williams there watching the game that day from Mobile, Alabama. Mike Goff was the first base coach for the Seattle Mariners who were playing The Chicago Cubs who had Jake Peavy on.
0: Oh, my goodness. Wasn't that something? That That was cool. Kind of put,
1: like, whoa. But anyway, uh, Bernie Carbo, when he came to Mobile, I had known about Bernie because I would lived in Cincinnati during the big red machine era, and he was the legend up there, you know, for his Reds days, right? Uh, Bernie used to tell me that, uh, you know, he was drafted higher, I think, than uh, Johnny Johnny Bench. Bench. And Bench always – Hated him for it.
0: He was the 15th player chosen in 65. Rick Monday was the first out of out of Arizona State, got $100,000. but yeah, Car- he, he made more
1: money, I think. Didn't he get more money than Johnny? I, 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 I think he so. He always resented him for that, he told me. But Bernie <laughs> came to Mobile, and I was doing a show on WNSP, like a noon show at the time, just doing something. Uh, I, I can't even remember. And um, Bernie came on, and, I mean, it was an unbelievable interview. And he started in on, you know, his – his dark days and just poured his heart out. I'm going, Oh my gosh. I know I've seen him do it. And, the... Uh, he just, you know, he left nothing out there and, and some of it disappointed me too, because you know, I, I can't, I remember the first time and I mean, I can, I, I used to sit in class and make out a reds lineup, you know, like Pete Rose leading off mm-hmm. Joe Morgan batting second, you know, third Kenny Griffey, uh, fourth, Tony Perez, Tony Perez uh, George Foster, you a. know. Concepcion. You know, Cesar Geronimo, <laughs> you know, all the way down the line. And George then, Foster. Yeah. And then uh you know, Pete Rose was revered in Cincinnati because he was from Western Hills, right? A tough, tough area of town to grow up in and he was a tough nosed guy as Charlie Hustle. But you know, when I first found out that some of those guys were between innings going into the dugout and smoking cigarettes as a kid, I said,
0: baseball players don't smoke cigarettes.
1: You know, it's kind of like Tom Hanks, right? Yeah. You know, there's no crying. In ba- and I'm going, you don't smoke and play baseball, do you? And they go, yeah, those guys, some of them go back there and catch a smoke between innings. I said, there's no way. Well, then talk to Bernie Carbo. They're out there popping greenies and all kind of crap. And it's like. There must have been the strip poles back in the dugout, back behind it or something. And he just, you know, he would talk about, you know, the things that went on. And it was just, uh, I guess, the reality of it all, right? And he found the Lord. And uh, we had numerous great interviews during his time here. And when I heard he was leaving, I had to go back out to his, you know, batting cage, uh, his business where he was teaching so many kids. And one more interview with Bernie. Then we went back to Hank Aaron Stadium to finish the interview, and I'm trying to remember why. I think there was some kind of picture or something I wanted to see with him, and uh, and I got a chance to talk with him a couple of uh, like two weeks ago. Uh, somebody at the golf course, uh, who's a friend of his, said, "Hey, somebody wants to talk to you," and there's old Bernie on the phone.
0: Wow, that's so cool. Yeah. Well, we got a couple of more minutes here. Is it your? Let's talk about the golf game for a minute don't you have a, a son-in-law is it is it a my grandson? nephew my nephew, nephew. Yeah, he's a quite a quite a golfer well it? he
1: he is What's his and steven setterstrom name? but he has you know this is you know the the, the fact sometimes of life he he gave it up he's not the uh, you know he he tried his best i guess you'd say to to make it to the pga tour and came up short uh and found out that you know sometimes you it, it just you can't make the score. He was close. Made the PGA Canadian Tour. Made to the final stage of uh, Corn Ferry Tour a couple of times and couldn't get over the hurdle. And then, you know, you wake up one day and you're 26, 27 years old and you're going, hey, what am I going to do? And in golf, it's really difficult to get uh, on a tour. And then if you don't, you got to wait another year for the qualifying tournaments. So then you go out of these mini tours and start, you know, trying to, collect a couple of checks here and there. Uh, so he's going to get married in October, and he had been dating his girlfriend for a long time, and it's, you know, you know, what are you going to do? And so, you know, you have to do those life things. I will tell you that he played at the University of Alabama, and I talked to his father a couple of weeks ago, and I said he might have quit too soon because he was teammates with Lee Hodges, who just won on the PGA Tour two weeks ago, is in the FedEx what was in the FedEx last weekend. Uh, Davis Riley, another one of his teammates won back in new Orleans earlier this year. in that two team deal, Uh, a guy who won the corn fairy tour event this past week uh, from Florida was a guy that he consistently beat when he was at Alabama. Another one of his teammates at Alabama won on the Canadian tour last week. So, you know, maybe he didn't give it enough time. Maybe he wasn't dedicated enough, but he certainly had the talent and it's uh, it's, you know, it's a tough thing to, you know, you see guys in baseball that, you know, make it to double A, single A, triple A, that just can't get over that hurdle. And then guys get to the, to the big leagues and can't keep it, right? You can't, you don't want to get there too early. Uh, the golf deal, Robbie Shelton is on the PGA Tour for Mobile. We've had Zach Sucker from Mobile, both out of St. Paul's. Bobby Wyatt found the, you know, the going tough. I thought he was, he, he made the PGA Tour, but decided, hey, need to get on with life and lives in Atlanta now.
0: You covered all those guys.
1: Yeah, I covered yeah. Bobby's 57 when wow. he when he won the junior championship at the country club when I went over there. Wow,
0: and, that's a great score. Uh, you know, uh, let, let me
1: just tell you that story real quick. I knew okay. you probably no, you're but good. Bobby Wyatt uh, was was leading the junior Alabama amateur championship the first day. The second day, they're having live scoring. So live scoring changes everything. That's what's kind of cool about college golf. You can go on these sites and the, you know what everybody scores, each hole. So I woke up the next morning and I looked. Uh, I got my cup of coffee, like I always do, and uh, start on the computer seeing what's happening. And I go to their live scoring and I look down at his score and I go, 10 under. I said, He wasn't 10 under. I go, Wait a minute. He's 10 under on his round today. So I said, Holy cow. And he had like five holes left to go, I think it was, and so or six holes. And I get on the phone, I call the, the desk at the station, and I said, I need a photographer to meet me out at the country club in Mobile right away. Mm-hmm. Get me somebody out there. So we get out there. My guy gets there, and I think Bobby's coming in on 16 and uh, shuttle him out there to get some video of him on 16, 17. On 18, he hits this shot right over the top of the flagstick. 15-foot birdie putt, just misses for a 56. Wow. And I go running out there when he holds the putt. It's like the Masters is over, right? And he's just won the Masters. I got my camera guy, and I said, do you know what you've just done? You shot 15 under par, you shot 57. And he was like he, truly in a zone. I mean, he was zoned out and, um, his dad was over there and you know, I mean, everybody had kind of gotten, a lot of people had gotten the word. And so there was a lot of folks around a gallery, if you will, around the 18th it's memorable day, historic day, in my opinion. So anyway, I, I Bobby was kind of like, Uh, uh, and so I interviewed his dad. I said, you know what your son just did? He said, ah, just another day in the life of junior golf. I said, no, no, this is a worldwide story, dude. He said, no, it's not. So I went over and I took Bobby with his scorecard, and I told my photographer, I said, Tim Jones, who did a great job shooting it, and I said, hold the shot on Bobby and then pan down at the card, then focus in on the card and go left to right and hold it on the 57. So he does that for me. and and So I already knew what I was going to do with it. So I get on the phone, meanwhile, it's like one o'clock, two o'clock, and I'm gonna go home, take a shower, and I had to work. So I called ESPN, called their desk. I said, I've got video and sound from Bobby Wyatt shooting a 57. He signed with Alabama, it's a freshman coming in, and then called the golf channel, did the same thing. Okay, we'll get back with you. So I go home, get to the office, and like my my phone's blown up with those ESPN. We want the video, we need the video. You know, I said, hold on, I'll get it to you. And those, I got the satellite booked and whatever. And so at 5 o'clock, Golf Central comes on and lead story. Golf Central, hello, everyone. A big show today for Bobby White in Mobile, Alabama. And they show the whole deal. So that night, I, I, I tune into ESPN for SportsCenter. I'm thinking, is he going to make it? And then they say, coming up on Sports Center, you shoot 57, you're going to make, you know, whatever their deal was. And there it was, the shot with the 57 in the pan. For the tees, because I, you know, I knew they. That couldn't. was
0: great. That anyway. was a great idea. Oh yeah. You know, you you left, and I, I've heard big things about Bobby White. In fact, I worked with a guy that that golfed in a tournament with him just recently, and he won the tournament. Bobby White did, and he said he's from Mississippi, and uh, he said that uh, that rumor rumor rumors he's heard that Bobby White was one of the best to ever come out of Mobile. Oh yeah. And yeah. and you know, and and I I agree with that, and you you just. Your story right there proves it. But but Randy, you left WKRG in January, I think, after forty three outstanding years. And and man, Mobile loves you, man. We still we still miss you. And and you know, I was able honored and able to come to your retirement party at T P. Crockmires And that, that had that was one of the funnest nights I ever I ever had, you know, being around all these People, celebrities that that you've dealt with over the years—Robert Brazil, you know, Joe Godfrey, you know, Lee Chavanian the list goes on and on. Even Ron Reams up there, you know, and and he he said he used to be the broadcaster for the uh, Bay Bay Sharks, Mobile Bay Sharks. But um, and then I put on some of the pictures. I put I put you and your wife was. Your anniversary. I don't know if you caught that, yeah. and everybody was, was congratulating y'all for your anniversary. But your anniversary wasn't until June. And uh, congratulations on you and your wife Monica for thirty-eight years. And 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 I and, and I, I apologize that people took that the wrong way, <laughs> but that was. Well, that you was know a great how Facebook night. is. As yeah. long
1: as you're posting something positive and people are responding positive, then it's a winner, right? It and, is. Uh, and, uh, you know, that's the other thing too. Is the uh, that side of the business, once we entered the Internet era in my career and then that feedback, instantaneous feedback, you know, back when the sound off was in the paper, I used to I used to hate that. I said, people are taking pot shots of people anonymously and, you know, don't, don't know who they are. You can't get to them. And then along comes Facebook, and you got to put your name and your picture there in front of it. Yeah. I said, well, that, we're safe now. They won't. Are you kidding me? I mean, what kind of world are we living in, Joey, that people can be... So vicious and uh, so vile, sometimes to uh, to do the you know the stuff that they do on that social networking. I I don't know if you don't have anything good to say, don't say anything is what I you know. Believe well, you in.
0: know, and you, you were a broadcaster like that, and 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 that's that's honorable, and you've you've, you've done so well with that. We've been talking with Randy Patrick, forty-three year veteran of the WKRG TV five here in Mobile, the best sportscaster ever come from Mobile and everybody will agree with that. Randy, I can't thank you enough for coming on tonight.
1: Well, just to hear you say those words, I'm humbled. I mean, I I don't never have considered myself that I just went to work every day. And uh, and again, I I just want to reiterate, people don't know how hard those jobs are, how difficult it is to get on the air live every night. I did 40, almost 44 years on the air live all the time. And it is tough, and, and it's tough to get up for it sometimes. Uh, you make a mistake, it used to tear me up, and I've made a lot of mistakes over my career. And I, You know, the little ones, but they're big ones in my mind. And uh, when you're live, you, you know, you're live. And it, it, it's, it's sometimes a, a lonely world out there or the tightrope is way up in the sky. Uh, somehow I, I made it, and, uh, I, you know, the, the good Lord will, and I'll hopefully live a few more years to enjoy my retirement. Uh, and I've enjoyed visiting with you as always. Well,
0: I appreciate that, Randy. I really do. And my next live show, we have 10-minute segments. I'd love to have you on. And let's and what we, we, we can talk about is the day in a life of a sports anchor. Because I know a lot of those days you had to study and you had to stay up late and you had to be on top of what you're about to tell the public. And 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 you did outstanding relay sports information to everybody.
1: Well, the reward now is uh, you know I, I've been laying low for you know whatever reason the last six months. But when you go out of the house and go, hey, you're, you're the news guy, and then sometimes you forget that you go, oh, okay, so I guess I'm never gonna ever, if I stay here, live that down. But that's that's a compliment, I guess, to a job well done when people hear my voice and turn their head or do that involuntary neck jerk of. Uh, yeah. <laughs> say, who, I, I know you. you got to tell me, and so you just sometimes play with them or you just say, I'm the, I'm the TV guy. And I'll leave you with a funny story. I was uh, covering Alabama out in Los Angeles in the national championship game, and we were coming back home, and it was about 5 o'clock in the morning, and we dropped the rental car off, my photographer and I, and uh, we were walking up to TSA, and the TSA agent says to my photographer, sir, you need to go in that line over there, and Randy Patrick, you go to this line right here. And I looked at him, and I looked up, and I said, wow, facial recognition at this airport. I didn't know you had it. And he said, we don't. I went to LaFleur High School. I grew up watching you on TV.
0: <laughs> <laughs> Isn't that something? That's great. You've been listening to The Batter's Box with Joey Warner and Randy Patrick, the Randy Patrick. We we, we got him back, and we hope to get him back doing something. Uh, Podcast, radio, it, it just... Me and Randy can get together and, and just talk sports. We've done that tonight, man, and it's been a pleasure. We've talked about everything from A to Z, and it's been, it's been great. I want to thank Nick Wiggins, our producer, for, for uh, hanging in there with us. And, and Randy, it's, it's been great, buddy.
1: My first podcast
0: in the book. There you go. You've been listening to the Batters Box with Joey Warner and Randy Patrick, and we're signing out.